Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Outbreak Podcast, an outlet for discussing creativity and the great beyond. We also discuss everything from gaming to film to the dark and dreary corners of the internet. I'm your host on this wild ride, William Key. How's everybody doing? Uh, this is episode 107. Apologies for not being able to make an episode last week. It was, there was just no, there was just no way it was going to happen. So. Let me fill you in. If you guys haven't listened to episode 106, I actually did make mention of, of what was going on that last time. So Finn was sick that week with bronchitis, and his condition actually worsened over the weekend to the point where on Monday morning, we made the decision to take him to the hospital. And what they found was that his bronchitis had actually devolved to double lung pneumonia. And so we had to be admitted to the hospital, and we were in hospital for five days. Uh, so there was absolutely no way I could record a show. There was no way I could really focus on anything other than my son's health. And so that's why I had I made the post last week saying that family emergency. But I, I knew that eventually I would come back and I would let you guys know what was going on because I do. I, not that I owe you guys an explanation, but because, you know, I have like... I have fans that have been following along since episode one, um, people who are interested in, in knowing what's going on in my day-to-day life, I guess, and I, I give as much as I can. Um, so I, th- I felt as if like I did owe you a bit of an explanation as to what was going on. Finn was sick in hospital with double, double lung pneumonia. Uh, he was discharged Friday afternoon, and he's been home with us all week this week recovering. It it was just, it had gotten to the point where he couldn't even sleep through the night. Every 10 minutes he was coughing and crying and we couldn't get sleep. We barely got sleep throughout the whole time we were at the hospital. But, uh, you know, the goal was to make sure that he was eating and drinking properly. And he seems to have gotten his appetite and his drinking back up to where it was before. We're convinced that, that this double lung pneumonia may have worsened his lungs to the point where he may have asthma, but he's so young that it's hard to diagnose at that age. So we're just basically, you know, keeping an eye, making sure things are okay. And then, you know, we're going to follow up with our doctors and see how things go. But that that's where I was last week. Uh, otherwise, though, and to kind of catch you guys up to what I've been getting up to in the past two weeks, I, I played uh, two new games. Uh, I actually... This first one I I had played um, as of episode 106, but I completely forgot to include it on my lineup. Uh, And it's the game Bug Snacks. So Bug Snacks was not a game that was initially on my radar. I wasn't ever sure if I was going to play it. Uh, It did seem like kind of an obscure title um, that kind of debuted around the launch period of the PlayStation 5. So it did kind of walk the line between uh, this past gen and now current gen consoles. You could play it either or, but I, I... and playing it on PlayStation 4. And it the premise is strange. It, it follows these creatures called Grumpuses. And the one character that you take control of is this, like, nameless journalist who was invited by one of the, um, the lead... One of the lead people over on this place called Snacktooth Island to come and sort of interview her and, and talk about bug snacks. And so... You, you you take like you go to the snack tooth island your plane gets shot down you get you meet up with with philbo who is this sort of self-appointed mayor and he takes you around the town and you meet a bunch of these interesting looking characters that all kind of remind me of like muppets but with very extreme personality traits um like philbo for example he's a self-appointed mayor who like he was kind of left in charge because Lizbeth, the the main girl who's like this like Australian archaeologist style character, just disappears. And Philbo is this like 
character who lacks self-confidence and people don't really like him for no other reason than the fact that that he is just kind of annoying uh, and just kind of there. Uh, but he's your companion. Then you have other characters like this uh, sauce farmer, Wombus, who is kind of this like Sam Elliott-style like grumpy farmer character. Uh, you've got Befica, who is this gossip-seeking photographer who she she from day one calls you her bestie and then starts taking photos of you every chance that she gets. Uh, you got Gramble, who is this rancher who essentially is the only one on the island that, that I can recall that does not eat the bug snacks. He actually like keeps them as pets. And there's a whole slew of other characters as well that are all quite entertaining and quite like unique you know what i mean there's no two characters that have the same sort of personality traits your whole goal is that you're catching these bug snacks which are essentially bugs they're different types of bugs but they're made out of food uh and so they're enticing to the people who are on snack tooth island all and you're trying to bring all the characters who have kind of been part of a group that all just kind of scattered to get away from philbo and snacksburg and you're trying to bring them all together to then eventually um not only uncover the mystery of Snacktooth Island, but also where Lisbert and her companion Egabel have disappeared to. It's sort of this fun little like me- like mellow action adventure game that's you know you don't actually die. The emphasis on, is on trying to catch bugs, bug snacks, trying to do all these little side quests for these characters, but you're in no real danger. There is like danger that's pre- sort of presented to these characters that they experience. But you're never really like in any true harm. There's no way to, to actually lose at this game. So it was a little fun, sort of mellow, like relaxing experience. And to sort of rack up the bug snacks that you catch in your repertoire and to feed them to these different uh, grumpuses on, on the world, it's, uh, it's satisfying. To, and that the other thing I forgot to mention too is that the bug snacks, when you feed them to these grumpus characters, Parts of their body change to the sort of food that you've just fed them. One of the early bug snacks you catch is this like strawberry that when you feed it to Philbo at the beginning, his arm turns into a strawberry. So the idea is that the food is slowly sort of like taking over. Um, and they're so obsessed with the like a, a lot of the characters are obsessed with these uh, bug snacks because it's manipulating their body. And, and it's this weird sort of like. Uh, body horror-esque story, but it's very lighthearted and cutesy and and funny. It's a funny, like, well-written story. And like I said, it's lighthearted. I'd say it takes you about, like, 10 to 12 hours to complete. I finished it a couple of days ago, and it sets up a sequel in a very interesting way, and I'm looking forward to seeing if they do move forward with a sequel. That being said, the other game that I did start yesterday, officially, is one called The Artful Escape. Now, this is developed by a smaller studio called Beethoven and Dinosaur. Clearly, they love their music. Um, And published by Annapurna Interactive. Uh, I did talk about Annapurna, I think, on the last podcast because I related them to Blumhouse, who just started, they have their own gaming division. And so when you play Artful Escape, you're you're playing the role of this, this character named Francis Vendetti, who is the nephew of a massively popular deceased folk music legend, Johnson Vendetti, uh, in the fictional town of Calypso. And Francis has essentially been walking this sort of line and following in the footsteps of his uncle, but he's having this sort of like existential crisis where he feels like he wants to be something more. And it's a story that I feel is is fairly familiar. You know, I feel like a lot of folk, young folk singers or singers that are just 
you know, sort of um, guitar singers like this are always trying to find their way. They always feel like they have an identity crisis. And this character goes through it in such an extreme manner to the point where he gets taken on this like otherworldly intergalactic experience to try to become and, and sort of determine what his true identity as a musician is. And it's a, it's a beautiful, beautifully artistic game. Gameplay wise, it is pretty simple. I was expecting it was going to be a little more like, you know, rhythm heavy. And there is music. Like you play the music, the music's really great and the visuals are stunning. Um, but so far from what I've experienced from just the gameplay, it's kind of like bare bones. You know, there's some loose platforming that's not too challenging. There's these like interesting sort of tete-a-tete like music portions where you have the five buttons on your PlayStation 4 controller that you're pressing, but you're kind of matching what the opponent is doing. And you're doing sort of like a, like I said, like a tete-a-tete, like you're kind of just (laughs) copying what they're doing, but you can play it in terms of like, however, like fast or slow you do it, but you have to maintain the beat. I did one quote unquote boss encounter, I think, where it had a couple different stages, but like you'd be getting the different button prompts and you're just following along. And if you miss a button prompt, you kind of have to just restart that verse again. Nothing that stuck out where it's like your character is in any fatal harm. So I could see this possibly being a sort of low key melancholy game, much like Bug Snacks, but I haven't played enough of it to really get the sense of that. But so far, the gameplay isn't isn't great, but I'm enjoying the story and I'm enjoying the visuals enough that I'm going to push through to the end. I don't see this being a large romp, probably like four to six hours, if anything. So we'll see. We'll, we'll push through to the end. That's all I've been sort of experiencing right now. I'm going to get into some of our stories and not many stories that I pulled together this week, like I said was playing a lot of catch up from last week. But you know, our top story this week, and this was a big one, um, Bethesda officially delays Starfield, which was set to launch sometime in April, uh, or as they said, their previously planned first half of 2023, and is now coming out on September 6th. The developer did confirm this. A Starfield Direct broadcast is planned for June 11th, which will share the latest information on the game. Todd Howard did present uh, a statement in regards to uh, the fact that Starfield is coming out. He did say that this June, we're going to bring you into the studio, give you a deep dive into the game at our Starfield Direct. There's so much that we still have to show you. The game has had has the many hallmarks that you expect from us, but it is also very unique. Like I said, I I personally believe that this game probably won't move past the September release date if it's going to but the thing is now that it's in the fall it's going to compete with some other heavy hitters. I think Spider-Man 2 is coming out around that time. So it is a pretty tough window to kind of fall into, but it also was going up against Tears of the Kingdom was coming out sometime in that period, so maybe they wanted to get away from that. I also think that that Starfield is probably not fully ready for launch. I think given the track record of of more recent releases like um, Fallout 76 for them, but also seeing how Cyberpunk played out and the events that transpired from that, the hype has built up enough for Starfield that I think Todd Howard is realizing that this game needs more time in the pot to really, um, you know, come to its full potential and be a fully finished game. It's Bethesda, so a good chance that this game will likely have bugs regardless um, of the fact that they've put a bit more time uh, behind them or in front of them to be able to work on it. I don't know. I mean, I'm okay with this delay. I'm not 
I'm not chomping at the bit for Starfield. Like I'm not an Xbox player, so it's it's one that I'm keeping an eye on, and I certainly hope that it does well for all the hype and all the the waiting around that people have done for this game. But again, there's like part of me that's like worried it's going to be another cyberpunk situation. I think Bethesda is established enough that they might come out okay. You know what I mean? It's a big enough name, and especially with Microsoft money, they should do fine. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, let me know if you guys are either hyped for Starfield or bummed by Starfield. You know, we'll talk about this a little bit more closer to the end of the show because it'll be related to our poll question. The next story I want to go into actually it was one that i found earlier in the week there was a developer online respected content creator night dive studios developer modern vintage gamer who has been looking into the nintendo switch successor possible successor and feels that they may face significant challenges at implementing backwards compatibility this was done by analysis by this individual in a newly published video that came out this week mvg digs into the possible components for nintendo's next console and explains why incompatibility between new hardware and how current nintendo switch software is compiled means that support for legacy switch games isn't necessarily a given so some of the data that was included here includes that the fact that the Switch currently uses the Tegra X1, a chip that was developed by NVIDIA that also empowers NVIDIA Shield Android TVs between the years of 2015 and 2018. If Nintendo is to move away from the Tegra X1, which we all feel strongly they will probably do, this according to MVG, current Switch games won't work on new hardware. That is without recompiling the games to target that hardware. So the developer MVG did say that there's several solutions for how they could get around this issue, such as software emulation, similar to what's being found with the Xbox Series. So Xbox Series X does use emulation to power virtual Xbox and 360 games in order to play those older games, similar to how third-party emulators function on the PC. I don't see Nintendo doing something like this. Another suggestion that was offered was that Nintendo does include a Tegra X1 chip in every Switch successor, meaning that older games can be played without emulation of new software, similar to how the Nintendo GameCube's chipset was included on the Wii, which allowed you to play GameCube games on your Wii. I can see them doing this, especially considering that the Switch in itself seems like Nintendo's magnum opus to this point. And it's one of those things where it's like when you set the bar high enough, how are you going to build upon that? The next best thing could be you know, the, the Switch Pro, which is what people have been speculating is going to be coming. We got the Switch OLED. Was it, I think it was early last year or late 2021, we got the Switch OLED. And people were really hoping that that one was going to be the Switch Pro that everybody was expecting it to be. But we're coming to a point now where I think we're about six or seven years into the Switch's life cycle. So we're going to be switching to a new console fairly soon. My best guess would probably be as early as next year we could see a, a, a next-gen Nintendo console. But according to, to what this developer is suggesting, the, there is some solutions to combat this. It's whether Nintendo is going to actually follow through. Because these days it seems as though they're not so much as interested in this backwards compatibility backwards compatibility so much as they're interested in sort of pushing Nintendo Switch online. And that would be eventually catching those older games like GameCube, uh, Game Boy Advance, which now I think they're doing, as well as the Wii, Wii U, and, and actually, yeah, I think of Wii U as the last one. I don't know if they're going to eventually push all those to Nintendo Switch online. It's hard to say. My final story for this week, and this was a big one that launched uh, two days ago, actually, 
we got confirmation from Marvel Studios that John Bernthal, uh, the actor best known for playing Shane from Walking Dead, but even more so known for playing The Punisher on the MCU Netflix so series The Punisher, is officially going to be returning to play The Punisher again for the upcoming Daredevil Born Again series. Um, John Bernthal did confirm this on his Instagram with a simple picture of Punisher. He's going to be reprising his role, and this is according to sources that are telling The Hollywood Reporter this. So he's joining the likes of Charlie Cox, as well as Vincent D'Onofrio, who are both returning for their roles as both Daredevil and the Kingpin, respectively. Born Again is being planned as a whopping 18-episode arc. So it's, it's going to be a series that I think is going to take more than a year and a half to film. And they are starting, they've already started filming. There was a quick set video at Yonkers, uh, in Yonkers, New York, that they were filming uh, Daredevil Born Again. And the series is set to debut next spring. So this is pretty exciting. Um, and it gives me more hope that we could possibly see the return of other classic Netflix Marvel characters, um, you know, like Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, possibly Iron Fist. The source also did suggest that both Eldon Hansen and Deborah Ann Wall, who were playing Karen Page as well as Foggy Nelson, aren't expected to return to those roles in Daredevil Born Again. Uh, so I don't know if if they just haven't been confirmed as part of the cast because it's so early on in the filming. Um, but there's a couple of things that they're keeping under wraps, I believe, for this series. So we may get a few surprises. It would be nice to see them return because I've heard conflicting rumors that suggest at least Foggy Nelson was supposed to make an appearance. The series is also going to focus uh, a lot more on sort of the lawyer aspect of Matt Murdock's life. But there was also rumors that, you know, now that he exists within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that he could be... Um, you know, teaming up with the likes of a character like Peter Parker's Spider-Man, um, since the two famously do work together a lot in the comics, and they share New York as sort of a playground, so it would make sense for those two characters to cross over. But now it also sets up the fact that with the Kingpin out there, he could certainly tussle with Spider-Man as well. So we'll see as more we learn more from this series, but I'm super excited that John Bernthal is coming back as the Punisher. He's definitely my favorite iteration of the Punisher so far. A, a perfect example of a perfect casting choice. That being said, I want to move forward to our poll question of the week. So again, two weeks ago, you know, when before Finn had gone to the hospital, I had asked you guys about the state of play because it was Sony's state of play. That was the big story from that week. I wanted to know what you guys thought of Sony's state of play. Did you love it? Did you think it was meh? Or did you think it was trash? So interesting sort of turnout in terms of the results. It actually got votes for all three sides. But 49% of you, this was close to almost half, 49% of you said it was trash. 38% of you said meh. And 13% of you said you loved it. So I was leaning towards the trash side, but that's only because personally... There was nothing on that uh, state of play that I was really interested in, aside from Chia uh, and I believe Resident Evil 4, uh, from what I can recall. I was not a huge fan of the Suicide Squad game. I've heard a lot of people, um, some mixed reactions to certain features within the game, certain gameplay types, but there's been the sentiment's been fairly like semi-positive towards Suicide Squad. I think that like the showcase wasn't the greatest to highlight Suicide Squad as sort of the big one probably would have benefited from like a Gotham Knights treatment and just getting its own sort of like individual gameplay 15 minute videos much like that and Hogwarts Legacy but 
I I just really wanted Spider-Man 2. I wanted a new trailer for that. I understand that they kind of framed it much like Xbox's developer direct as well as Nintendo's direct in terms of showcasing games that were coming out in the short term. I, I still wasn't impressed. That being said, as I mentioned earlier in the show, this question was centered around the uh, Bethesda's decision to delay Starfield. I want to know, do you think Bethesda's decision to delay Starfield will ultimately yield positive results? So do you guys think that this delay will be good for Starfield in terms of its development? You let me know. It'll be a simple yes or no question. Um, The question will be available at the release of this episode. You can go over to Twitter right now at my personal Twitter account at Will Key to answer the question. And I will review the results at the end of next week's episode. That being said, thank you guys for tuning in. You can head over to my blog, wkey.wordpress.com, where I occasionally will post feature-length articles, news pieces, opinions on genuinely anything I find interesting. If you want to follow me on social media, here's a couple places to do so. I do have Hive. I haven't used it. I don't even know if people are really still using it. If you're using it, let me know. You can give me a nice quick follow at William Outbreak. As I mentioned, my personal Twitter account is at WillKey. That's where I tend to have the most activity when I'm feeling social. If you want to follow this podcast Twitter account, the account is at Podcast Outbreak. As well, I also use TikTok fairly regularly. I do watch a lot of baby-related videos because the algorithm seems to think that I'm interested in, in having a young child again in my house. So we'll see how that goes. Um, search William Outbreak as well. You can search William Outbreak at Redbubble as well. Uh, that's where you can find some unique shirt designs, including the podcast logo on anything you want to get as well. I have the song on Rock Band. That's a popular one too. And it's a popular joke that I like to tell my friends because they know I like Rock Band. This podcast is available on Anchor.fm. The link is anchor.fm backslash the Outbreak Podcast. But this podcast does get distributed through Anchor to Apple, Spotify, Google, Listen Notes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music Plus Audible, and TuneIn Plus Alexa, and probably many more. I don't know. Nobody tells me anything. I just get emails and some people that are like, please send me your podcast. We want to promote it. And I'm like, I've never heard of you. And I tend to just ignore shit. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode. Have yourselves a great night.